0: commanded Jeremiah to never marry and and never have children, Jeremiah preached for years only to be rebuked, insulted, banished by leaders who hated him. At one point, he was thrown in a pit to die. And all he was doing was what God had called him to do. One of the many differences between Jeremiah and other prophets is that Jeremiah did not have the benefit of miracles to vindicate his message. A lot of the other prophets they performed these miracles and the people knew that God was behind this person because of the miracles they performed. Yet Jeremiah never performed any miracles. Instead, God gave him these certain object lessons to use in order to get people's attention. Uh, one of those was the, the wearing of a, a yoke like a, a team of oxen would wear. And he wore it across his shoulders as he walked the streets. So instead of miracles... Jeremiah used these ordinary objects to communicate a message of impending judgment. And even though other prophets had, had performed miracles and preached the same message, Jeremiah used the the object lessons and preached the same message, people didn't pay any attention. In the kingdom of Judah, where Jeremiah lived, the, the people had very, several kings, a lot of kings. Some of them were good and followed after God and... Some of them were evil and led the people into deeper sin and the worship of idols and false gods. One of the good kings was a man named Josiah. The judgments that we read, that we're going to read today in the 22nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah, were not directed at Josiah. Josiah was a godly man. He led the people in the way that God wanted the people to go. <clears throat> Rather, these things that we're going to read today were were leveled against the kings that came after Josiah, principally one of his sons. One thing to keep in mind as you read the book of Jeremiah that the book is not in chronological order. Instead it's divided into content, by content into different sections. So as good as a king as Josiah was, none of his sons followed in their in his godly footsteps. Let's look at Jeremiah twenty two, verses thirteen through seventeen. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. The passages we just read are focused on a a king named Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim came to the throne at the age of 25 after the death of his father Josiah, And after the imprisonment of his brother, who actually took the throne after the immediate death of his father, his brother served on the throne for about three months. And then he was imprisoned by the Pharaoh Necho. Um, He placed Jehoiakim in power. And at the beginning of his reign, as soon as he started off as king, he forced the people of Judah to pay higher taxes in order to be able to give money to the Egyptian pharaoh that had placed him in power. Later, it says that he used compulsory, uncompensated labor to build a luxurious palace. So he raised taxes as soon as he went in to take over as the king. And then he forced people into working for him to build something for him without paying them. Jeremiah's announcements of judgment, in this case, he notes the eventual demise of Jehoiakim. He's telling him, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what your father did. This is what you have done. This is what's going to happen to you. Look what Jeremiah said the feeling toward Jehoiakim would be after his death. Verses 18 and 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my brother. Alas, my sister. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my master. Alas, his splendor. He will have the burial of a donkey dragged away and thrown outside the gates of Jerusalem. So we can see that he wasn't very well liked. He wasn't pleasing to God. And because of the way that he treated the people, once he was gone, even though he was the king, this is the king that is going to receive the burial of a donkey. The problem with Jehoiakim is that his life was focused entirely upon himself. He didn't care about the people around him. In fact, the only thing that the people around him were good for were to use for his benefit. With that position that he was in, he could have done a lot of good things like his father did. One of the many accomplishments of Josiah, his father, was that he devoted himself to the Lord and he reinstituted the observance of the law of Moses to the people. In other words, he, he got the people back to serving God. And here's his son after his death that immediately comes into power. He raises taxes, uses the people as slaves, and turns people away from God. And if we're not careful, and if we look around in our society today, we see that many people still do the same thing. Jehoiakim was completely focused on himself. He was focused on what was best for him. And the people around him were not good unless they were doing for him. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves as Christians doing much the same thing. And and I don't want anybody, please don't take this, as as I'm being overly critical. This is this is reality. And there's there's times, you know, when, when we teach a lesson or or Pastor Majeen preaches where it's one of those where you, you want to jump up and shout and and run around the building. This might not be one of those. But it is one of those things that I believe that we really do need to to look at and really pay attention to because the principles of the Old Testament Yes, it's things that happened a long time ago. It was under a different dispensation. But the things of the Old Testament and the actions of the people still apply to people today. Because human nature has really not changed all that much. If you read through the different stories of the Old Testament, we see that people acted very much back then just like they do today. So when we look at today what we have available, we have an incredible gospel or good news to share with the world. It's the news of salvation. It's the news of deliverance. It's the news of a life that can be transformed. It's a simple plan, but it didn't come at a cheap price. God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth as a man, where He was beaten and nailed to a wooden cross to die the most humiliating of deaths. And still, that's the price that was paid. In spite of all the things that were to happen, he still went through with it because it wasn't all about Jesus when he came to earth. It was about us. And because that price has already been paid, we have salvation free and it's free to whoever will receive it. If you go back to John 3, or go to John 3.16 in the New Testament, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's for everybody. God gave His only Son so that you and I can have salvation. How incredible is it to think that the very God that created the heavens and the earth by simply speaking them into existence would love me and would love you enough that He would be willing to do that. Not because we were deserving of it, but in spite of the fact that we were never deserving of it and never could be. And with that in mind, the tremendous plan of salvation that is available to us, how many churches around the country have become nothing more than a social organization? With all there is to offer, with all that has been done, with the tremendous plan of salvation that is there, that we can share with other people, and yet a lot of churches have forgotten about that part of it and it's turned into a gathering place. Maybe a place just for networking among the community. Not networking as it should be to where we go out and spread the gospel as we're commanded to, but networking in a way to reach our personal goals. Maybe to be good for my business if I join this church. Maybe if I go to this church... There's a little bit different class of people, so I'll go there. And it becomes about a social thing, and we forget about what it's supposed to really be about if we're not careful. If we do that, how are we any different than King Jehoiakim? He took all of the good that was available, and instead of using it to turn people's hearts toward God, he used it for his own personal profit at the expense of other people. With all of the things that we have available to us today, the gospel, salvation, and all of the things that God has blessed us with, what are we doing with it? Are we taking it to a world that that needs it? Or do we find ourselves holding on to it and maybe using it for our own benefit? It's not about me, it's not about us. It's not about me as a teacher. It's not about Pastor Majane. It's not about Bishop Goldsbury. It's not even about High Point Church of Brandon. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I would love to see this place absolutely packed out this morning and, and having to put chairs in the in the aisles for people. But if that were the case, it's not about me. And it's not about what I have done. It's not about what Pastor Majean has done. It's not about what a beautiful building High Point Church of Brandon is. It still is about the Gospel and the salvation that is available to each and every one of us. And when we get away from that, when we start to look at the other things, then we have become just like King Jehoiakim. When we come to church, why do we come to church? Do we come to church to be seen, do we come to worship the God of all creation? Do we come to see what, what who else is going to be there and maybe what they're wearing? Or do we come to receive from God the things that He has for us? See, it's not about us. And maybe that sounds a little bit drastic. <clears throat> but it's still not about us. The word woe in verse 13 refers to a cry that is derived from ancient funeral lamentations. The term announces the funeral of the person being addressed, and in this case, Jehoiakim was the person that they were talking about. And it was commonly used by prophets in introducing a judgment oracle to the people. Jeremiah first addresses the king's use of building his palace with forced labor. In verse 13. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, making his countrymen work for nothing. This violated the very law of Moses. The law of Moses said that you couldn't require somebody to work without paying them a fair wage. It was as if the king was building injustice into the walls and oppression into the door frames and the ceilings of this beautiful palace because it was built in a way that it shouldn't have been built to start with. Because in Jehoiakim's mind, it was completely about him. I'm the king, so I can do whatever I want. I can use people for whatever I want to use them for. And in spite of the fact that I could do good like my father did, I've chosen to make it all about me. Didn't matter how many spacious rooms or Large windows or fragrant fragrant cedar panels, the king obtained, because his actions were unjust. It didn't matter how beautiful the palace was, or if he could stand back and say, "You know, this is this is the kingdom that God has given me, and and this is God has placed me in as king here, and we are God's people." And look at this beautiful palace. You know what? It didn't matter. It really didn't matter how beautiful the palace was because it was all done for the wrong reason. If we build a church of five thousand people and it becomes about us instead of about God, and we stand back and say, look what we've done, it doesn't it doesn't really matter to God. There are so-called Christian pastors and leaders today that take and take and they ask more and more from their followers and it's never enough. Similar to Jehoiakim here. But then when you see what they've done with the money that they were taking up for the work of God, that they also somewhere in there bought a $50 million jet, fleet of luxury vehicles and several elaborate homes, while some of the people that sacrificially gave live in virtual poverty. Same thing. I ask you this, what is the difference? What is the difference in building a kingdom that you want to call your church or your, your work of God if you build it off the backs of people that you've taken advantage of? You say, well, why are you bringing that up? Well, for one thing, it's in the Bible and it just happened to be the lesson that came up today and the other thing is that there's a lot of people out there that are doing just that and i would caution you that in your giving that we really need to look at who we're giving to and what we're giving to and for what they are doing what they are doing with the money that we do give if it's somebody that is using it for the wrong reasons, then I don't think we're going to be really blessed a whole lot by that. And there's people that would say, yeah, but look what they're doing for the kingdom of God. And to that I would answer, how much more could they do if they didn't take so much for themselves? Jeremiah was making the point of this. Who cares how beautiful the palace is if it's built in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons. There was nothing about the palace of Jehoiakim that glorified God. And it didn't have to be that way. That's the sad part, that it did not have to be that way. Look at verse 15. This is speaking of His Father. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? Your father had all of these things. He was still the king. He had all of the the stuff that went with it. But he did what was right and just and so all went well with him. The difference in Josiah and his son is that for Josiah it wasn't about him. And I believe this shows that there's, there's nothing wrong with having things because he addressed the issue that Josiah had things and there's nothing wrong with us having things today. It's in how we get them and how we use them once we have them that really matters. Jeremiah declared that a great king wasn't determined by his construction of a beautiful palace. You don't determine if a king is great by how beautiful the palace is. You determine if a king is great by how he lived his life and how he treated the people. And I know somebody right now is thinking, where is he going with this? Stay with me. I promise we're going somewhere. Josiah was right and just in all his dealings. And the Lord blessed Josiah because he helped the poor and established justice for the disadvantaged. It's not wrong for us to have things. It's not wrong for us to be wealthy. The determination of right and wrong comes in with what we do with what we have. I believe that you can be poor and be a bad person, and you can be poor and be a good person, or you can be rich and be a good person, or you can be rich and be a bad person. It's not about the things that make you good or bad. It's what you do or don't do with the things that God has blessed you with. But I will say this, if someone fleeces the people for their own benefit and then turns around and does a couple good things, that's not what Jeremiah was talking about. Because a lot of times those good things are just so that person can say, well, look what I did. It would be like Jehoiakim building this beautiful palace off of slave labor, not paying the people to do it, And then building this beautiful palace all for himself and then feeling really good about himself because he gave him a drink of water. But look what I did. Yeah, look what you did. And that's what we see today in a lot of, not necessarily churches, but in religious movements. That you have people that take and take and take and they take advantage of people and then they try to justify it by, but look what I did. Doing good in order to be seen as someone who's doing good is not pleasing to God. In fact, it's addressed in in Matthew Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men I tell you the truth they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you in other words when we do those good things it's not for our glory When we go out and do things, if Jehoiakim would have done those things only for the fact that people would look at him and say, look how good he was, then what Jesus is saying here in Matthew is, that's your whole reward. The adoration of people with, wow, what a great guy he is, is it. Or as it happens in our day, let me go out and spend a couple hundred thousand dollars of someone else's money. Showing me giving somebody else's money to somebody that needs it so that people will look at me and say, look how good he is. Or even for a worse motivation, so that people will send even more money. You say, well, why are you on that? Because I, I'm very concerned today with what religion, organized religion has become in the United States of America when we forget about the things that are important and we start looking at the things of, and we judge a person and their their spirituality by how big the church they've built or by what kind of car they drive or what type of jet they have, and that's how we look at that person, it's not pleasing to God. Because Jeremiah made the exact point that it doesn't matter how big your palace was, Jehoiakim. It doesn't matter how much cedar was in it. It doesn't matter how big the rooms were and the windows were and the light was beautiful and and the coloring was great. It just doesn't matter. Because you did it all for the wrong reasons. And when we do things for the wrong reason, when we do things for the praise and the adoration and adulation of other people the only reward that we receive is what we got right at that time. Instead, in Matthew it says, when you do those things, do them in secret. It seems that that's not a real popular thing in the religious world today. That if, if somebody is going to go out and do something to help people, they want a camera crew to follow them out there to do it. Amen. And again, I say the reason that we, I, I mention this today is because it is something that is very important for us to look at. What is this all about? What determines what a person is? Is it by how big of a following they've built? Or is it by what they're really doing with their life? And I believe you can have both. If you look at what was said about Josiah and and Jeremiah speaking to Jehoiakim, he said, didn't your father have all those things too? But he was still a good man. In contrast to his father, Jehoiakim made it his goal to, to cheat, abuse, or murder innocent victims, and selfishness, greed, and dishonesty were the principles that were undergirding his administration. That's what it was all about. Is it any wonder that God passed judgment on him and his body was dragged out of the city after he died and he was given the funeral of a donkey? Makes you wonder how many donkey funerals we'd have today in our society if we did the same thing. Jeremiah 22, verses 21 through 23. I warned you when you felt secure, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth. You have not obeyed me. The wind will drive all your shepherds away and your allies will go into exile. Then you will be ashamed and disgraced because of all your wickedness. You who live in Lebanon, who are nestled in cedar buildings, how you will groan when pangs come upon you, pain like that of a woman in labor. The passages here are, it's a type of poetic judgment that is called on the city of Jerusalem and, and the rulers. Remember, Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. And it was to lament their upcoming humiliation. Remember, they had been warned by many other prophets. This wasn't the first person that had come along. Jeremiah wasn't the first to tell them that if they didn't change their ways that they would be judged tremendously, and even to the point where their city was destroyed, their country was destroyed, and they were taken into captivity as slaves. The shepherds that are mentioned here are not necessarily keepers of sheep, but rather the rulers of Judah. And these rulers had enjoyed positions of power and influence, but they had grown corrupt. And they had led God's people astray. I believe it's important that that if we when we look at at who we are going to follow, and i 'm overall, I know we are to follow God and follow after Christ, but in a church situation, when we look at who we 're going to follow as a leadership in in a church situation, I think it's very important that we know what that person believes. I believe it's very important that they we know what they teach and not just take it for granted because they have a doctor or a reverend or pastor or something in front of their name, that they must be okay. Because here was kings of God's people. This was God's chosen people, the people of Judah. This was the group of people that God had brought out of Egypt into Canaan and given them this land and had blessed them abundantly and set up leadership over them, and their leadership had led them astray. In fact, the, the leaders that were supposed to be shepherds over the people were more like predators than shepherds because they took advantage of the people. Think that applies in our society? Listen to what Jeremiah wrote regarding that Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2. I warned you when you felt secure, but you said... Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I believe God wasn't real pleased with that. I placed you as a shepherd... I put you in a position to, to lead people. But instead, what you've done is you've led them. You've led them away from me. The next verse, Jeremiah 20, 23 and 3. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. God will judge those leaders but for His people, there was still a promise. And if we look at the, the idolatry and the sin and the things that were going on in Judah and the people of that day, and we shake our head and go, those people were just so wicked. Let me assure you that they weren't anything compared to today. Today. So where does that place us? Judah's rulers were supposed to, to shepherd God's people with kindness and equity. Instead, the rulers prayed, and, prayed upon them and, and crushed the disadvantaged. But here's the good part. As with every scenario that we read throughout the Bible, where there is some type of judgment, there is also a type of salvation that's, God doesn't just throw out judgment and say that's the end of it. Even when His people time and time again would turn to Him and then turn away, even in the the wilderness when, when God brought His people out of Egypt to Canaan and they were disobedient and wouldn't go in and take the land and so He let them wander around for 40 years in the wilderness, even in that period of judgment, He still took care of them. So that wasn't the end. Yes, they would be destroyed as a people. Yes, they would be taken into captivity by the Babylonians, but that wasn't the end. He also promised that at some point a future leader would restore his people. And in light of the New Testament, if you take that and look at the New Testament, we know that that would refer to the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. We don't have to live a broken life. We don't have to live a defeated life. We don't have to live a hopeless life. Why? Because there is salvation, there is healing, there is hope, there is victory that are all made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. The king and the people of Jerusalem had refused to trust in the Lord and follow His will. When times were prosperous, God warned the people to turn from their wicked ways and their response in verse 21 was, I will not listen. Why? Because we're secure. Everything's good. We feel secure in what's going on, so... so there's no reason really to listen to you, God. Jeremiah, you can preach all you want, but things are pretty good. So we're just not going to listen to you. And I will say today, for several years now, things have been really good for the United States. And in spite of of people going out and trying to tell people about that there's something even better, the world in general has made the statement, I will not listen. And we find ourselves then where we find ourselves now. All of a sudden we don't feel very secure. People are wondering will I have a retirement? People are wondering, will I have a home? People are wondering, will I have a job? And we look around and say, well, why is that? And I believe it's because when when we felt secure, we made the statement to many people that I will not listen. I feel pretty secure where I am. I've been on my job for 20 years. I don't have to worry about losing my job. And yet, there are people that are. Jeremiah made a comment earlier in his writings. And he spoke to the people of Judah in Jeremiah 6 and 16. And he said, you are standing at a crossroad." You stand at the crossroad and look, and you have to make a choice where we go from here. Obviously, the people made a bad choice because these are the same people that said, I will not listen. But they had the choice, and we have that same choice today. Do we choose to follow after God, or do we choose to say, I can work this out on my own, because really what's most important is me. And we have become such a it's all about me generation for several generations. That if we're not careful, we will find ourselves exactly like the people of Judah. Because truly, it's not about us. I was going to play something, but it won't play, so we won't do that. The direction that we choose to go from here is important. Do we choose after, to follow after the things that make us feel and look good, or do we follow after the commandments of God? Jeremiah said that the rulers of Judah felt secure in their prosperity. They, they, Jehoiakim sat in his palace, He was nestled in his cedar building. Everything looks good from where I'm standing. So it must be good. But those things were only an illusion because in due time, all of those things would be gone. Where is our focus today? Greatness, according to Jeremiah, wasn't about The outward signs of luxury. The spacious rooms, the large windows, the the fragrant cedar panels of Jehoiakim's palace are not what made him a great man or what would have made him a great man. What would have made him a great man would be what he did for those around him. But instead, the focus was entirely upon himself. having a palatial home having the corner office in the company the newest car in the neighborhood the the latest of designer clothing is not god's goal for us there's nothing wrong with having those things please don't get me wrong i i If you have all those things and you live for God and you focus your life on the people that are around you and you're doing for those around you, God bless you, that's wonderful. It's when we sacrifice those things in order to gain the palatial home, the corner office, the new car, that I believe that we become displeasing to God. Because what has happened at that point is that it's become about me and not about those around me. And Jeremiah spoke to Jehoiakim and said, you've had the opportunity to have all those things and still help people and you chose to just have all the things. We have something greater than Jehoiakim could ever have imagined. Salvation. Jesus Christ Himself came to earth in the form of a man and lived among men and He died and He suffered and He shed His blood so that we have salvation. Are we sharing it with anyone? Are we telling the people around us about that plan of salvation and how great it is? And yes, I believe that each of us in our lives, in fact, the tagline on the sign out here says, Helping you reach the high point in your walk with Christ. But it's not just about me helping me. It's about me helping others to reach the high point in their life too. Because if I reach the high point in my life with Christ, and I forget about all the people around me, then I've become a Jehoiakim. I believe that Jeremiah tells us to be fair and just in all of our dealings. You go, well, I am fair. I am, I am all of those things. But yet, if we're not careful, that selfishness can dominate even a heart of somebody who's supposed to be living for God. What do people see when they look at us? For example, we have people come over and and give us an estimate on on doing some things around the house. And we spend a lot of time trying to get that good deal even though we know that it means not paying somebody for what the job really should be worth. But we feel real good about it because we got that good deal. Jehoiakim didn't pay the people for building his palace. Well, I would never do that. It's those little things like that that we just don't even think about sometimes. We may feel that because we are in a certain socioeconomic status that somehow we are entitled to a different treatment than people that aren't in that same group. But it's not true. And even as Christians, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being oblivious to the hurts and the pains of people that live right next door to us. Because we're so focused on building our palace. And we're so focused on on the cedar panelings of our palace that we don't even notice the hurts and pains of the next door neighbor. I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm speaking to myself too. It's easy to do. When things are good, when we are comfortable in life, it's easy to focus more and more on ourself. When we get a little bit uncomfortable and all of a sudden things are not really good for us, it seems like then are the times that we look around and say, wow, there are people hurting just like me. Am I saying that God allows those things to happen? I think in some cases, yes. I believe that in the case of the the people of Judah, that it was only because they were taken captive and turned into slaves in, in Babylon that after that their focus really changed on what it was all about and what was important. You say, well, that's not a very hopeful message. Yes, it is. Because we stand at a crossroad and we have a choice. We have a choice whether it's about us or whether it's about the people that are around us. And we can see from past, from the past and from history, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, when we focus only on what's about us, that it leads to destruction. Often we don't see those things around us because we we don't want to look. I won't look very closely because if I do, I might see a need and then I'd feel bad. There are people around us every day with tremendous needs. Spiritual needs and physical needs. Yet do we become so focused on ourselves that we don't even notice. And while there are so many incredible traits that Jesus Christ had While he lived on this earth, I think one of the greatest traits and one of the greatest things that he showed was his awareness of the needs of people around him. Think of who he was. Think of who Jesus Christ was. This is a person that could heal any type of sickness. He could turn water into wine. He could do all of these miracles and, and take us a, a boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people. If anyone had a reason to make it all about me, it would have been Jesus. Because He was pretty cool. And yet, He recognized the very little things and the very little hurts of people around him. He never focused on himself. In fact, when he did some great miracle and healed somebody of some disease, he would pull them off to the side and say, don't go tell anybody about this. Just keep this between us. And the person never did. They'd run off screaming and hollering and telling everybody. But he didn't promote himself as to go tell all your friends about me and tell them to come back and see me. Because it wasn't about him. It was about the people. And as a church, it can't be about us as a church. It has to be those that are outside of the church. It has to be the neighbors on this side, the neighbors on this side, the neighbors that live next door to you in your neighborhood. That's who it has to be about. Because even though we build a tremendous, huge, gigantic church with thousands and thousands of people, if we forget about the needs of people that are still out there, we haven't accomplished very much. Jesus never pretended that He didn't see that homeless person. He never had His, his people move him away from the leper so he didn't have to get near him. He never avoided the sick because he was tired from walking all day. Jesus, there's people out here that, that, are, that are, are just waiting. They've been here all day waiting for you to come out and heal him. And Jesus never one time said, you know what, I'm just too tired. Tell am to come back tomorrow. Because it wasn't about Him. Yes, there was greatness. There was this like no other person that ever walked the face of the earth, and yet He never made it about Him. We're a blessed people. But then so were the people of Judah. The beautiful prayer written by St. Francis says this, Lord, make me an instrument of Thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And as I read this, I thought really that's what sums it all up. When we make it about us, it really becomes meaningless when we make it around about those that are around us, then it becomes important. And the bottom line, I believe, of each of our actions as we live our life each and every day, need to keep this question in mind. Is this the kind, gentle, helpful thing that King Josiah would do? Or is it the greedy, self-centered thing that Jehoiakim would do? And I know it's become awfully cliched in our day, and and that's why I didn't use this first, but is it the kind of thing that Jesus would do? And again, I say we are blessed. But we need to be careful that we don't become so comfortable in our palace with beautiful walls of cedar, with the beautiful windows and the spaciousness and everything else, and so comfortable in that that we feel so secure that we forget about all the people that are around us. If you remember, the first word of the the Great Commission that Jesus gave was, Go. And the rest of that is good because it tells us what to do once we go. Go. But without that first word, the rest of it doesn't mean much. Go. I believe our world will be much better and our lives will be much better. When we come to a point to where we really try to take care of others as much as we try to take care of ourselves. God bless you.